All right, and welcome to Psychology and Stuff, the podcast for the University of Wisconsin Green Bay Psychology Program. I'm Ryan Martin, chair of the psychology program, and I am here today with a very, very special guest um, from Public and Environmental Affairs, Dr. Aaron Weinshank. Hello. Hi there, everybody. How's it going? <laughs> very nice. So, Aaron, could you start out and talk a little bit about kind of what you teach? Because um, you are, um, well, why don't you go ahead and, yeah. and introduce yourself. So this is my third year at UW-Green Bay. I teach in political science and public administration, mostly in a realm of American politics. Teach uh, American government and politics, intro to public policy, teach the upper level class on Congress, and a class on urban politics as well. So kind of a range of different things, but mostly right. centered on American politics. Right. And despite that resume... You are here because, in a lot of ways, you're basically a psychologist. <laughs> basically I, a psychologist. <laughs> you, My second home. Uh, <laughs> nice. Yeah. So, now, Aaron, your research area is in kind of the, the relationship between personality and political behavior. Is yeah, that a fair that's, description? That's a fair description. Um, you know, most of my stuff I would consider political behavior, but some of the things I've been doing more recently center on using some ideas from psychology to try to understand what people do in politics, whether it's the attitudes that they have, the ways that they participate, so okay. very much psychological in nature. All right. Well, so here's the other thing I want people to know about you before we go any further, and that is you are a UW-Green Bay alum, alum as well. Yes, you. I am. That is a, a distinguished list um, of, of, of people who, I know, we got Kate Farley, our producer here, is also a UWGB alum. Um, and Kate, it's English, correct? And humanistic studies. English and humanistic studies. So we've got a, we are surrounded by good people with great majors here today. Um, and so, uh, I should say great people and great majors. <laughs> so it's not that. But uh, you know uh, the, the the list of faculty who graduated from UW Green Bay is is growing, right? Yes. I know it's you. I, I think Patricia. Wait, not Patricia. Uh, Greg Davis. Greg Davis. Uh, John Cater. John Cater. Cheryl Grosso. David Helpup. David Helpup. You know, I just I just found this out this weekend. Yeah. So I spent or this week I spent um, an afternoon talking to your old mentor Terry Johnson. Johnson. Yeah. Yes, she was at the same conference as me last week. She was week. actually the person who inspired me to study political behavior. So we, we actually talked about that, but yeah. as we were talking about it, she mentioned that David was also one yeah, of our students. Is. And you guys were like TAs together, right? We didn't or, TA together, but we both TA'd for her for okay. different classes. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. So close, but yeah. so good. Yeah. Very good. So, um, so let's uh, kind of dig in here and tell me a little bit about your, like describe your research or some of the, your findings from recent studies and, yeah. and things like that. So the main place where I started working on this was in my dissertation. Uh, I've always been interested in why some people participate in politics more than others. And so, you know, just talking to my dissertation advisor, he's like, why don't you dig into that a little bit? And uh, no one really had devoted much attention in political science to the idea that maybe it's personality traits that make make people, uh, you know, like some activities more than others or just influence their general pr propensity to get involved or to hold certain attitudes. So I really started thinking about it there and uh, was able to... Uh, Think about some of the work in psychology and how that might tie into political science and use some of the measures that, measures that psychologists have developed uh, for personality traits and, and try to integrate those into models of political behavior. So that's kind of where it started and I've followed that up with uh, some experimental research looking at whether people respond to different kinds of political messages depending on their political traits. Uh, I've looked at the influence of personality traits on feelings of civic obligation. So. It really ranges from looking at the attitudes to the behaviors. And, uh, I'm doing some more stuff right now on, on that kind of a topic. Okay. So. 
So what are some of the big findings that you've pulled from some of these studies? <laughs> yeah, I think that uh, for the most part, political scientists have uh, you know, been pretty interested in basic demographic attributes, as most disciplines are. What, mm -hmm. what are the effects of income and education? And it turns out that there are some personality traits that have effects that are just as large as some of those mm -hmm. basic predictors of political, uh, political participation or political attitudes. So things like uh, extroversion tend to be really strong predictors of political participation. Uh, things like more specific measures like conflict avoidance tend to do a pretty good job of influencing whether somebody's going to be involved mm -hmm. in politics and also the kinds of acts that they might, mm -hmm. might participate in. You know, the really conflictual acts like protesting aren't, aren't good for somebody who has high conflict avoidance. Right. Yeah. Um, you mentioned extroversion. So have you, uh, and then you also mentioned using some measures that psychologists have, yep. have embraced. Are you, have you uh, done specific research looking at the, the big five? I have or? done stuff looking at the big five. In fact, that was a baseline for some of my dissertation research. The existing research in political science mostly use the big five. And mm -hmm. I think the big five are great and there's lots of interesting things there, but I also think there are other traits that right. are not integrated into the big five that need to be uh, need to be considered. So right. I, I did do some work on the big five, but also some other uh, traits. Need, need for cognition, need to evaluate, uh, things like that. Let's, let's back up for a sec, because yep. while you and I know what the big five yes. are, our, uh, my producer just pointed <laughs> to me that that, that, that might be some, uh, some jargon That's from some our jargon. field. Yes. Um, so yeah, do you want to describe for people yeah, what so the big five are? Pretty common model in psychology. Um, the big five traits are. Let's see. I don't have to think of like the ocean. 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 Openness, <laughs> conscientiousness, extroversion, extroversion, agreeableness, and then emotional stability or neuroticism, as right. some people call it. So the five kind of general traits that psychologists have identified. Uh, basically, they administered a bunch of adjectives to people to see. Uh, how they would rate themselves on those adjectives, did a factor analysis, and uh, found out that these big five dimensions tend to do a pretty good job of capturing some of the broad elements of personality. And, right. uh, lots of psychology studies have been done on, you know, how do you measure the big five? What are the predictors of the big five? What do the big five predict? Mm -hmm. uh, so I've done some work on that as well. Yeah. And it's funny we're talking about this because when I was in graduate school, now I, I my graduate program is in was in counseling psych, mm -hmm. and so it wasn't really tied in any way to politics. But yeah. but at the time, politics was sort of a, a hobby of mine, something yeah. I was interested in. And um, I, I, I talked to my advisor about how I thought a really interesting study could be to look at the big five as they are associated with, with um, political behavior. Yeah. And I, I brought this up to him, and I thought it was like the greatest idea ever, and his response was more or less... Ryan, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, you're yeah. a counseling psychologist. Yeah. Your research area is anger. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Uh, you know, and, I, and so I, he, he sort of, and I love Eric to death. He's great, um, and, and he was a great advisor. And frankly, he was probably right yeah. that it wasn't a good thing for me to spend my time on yeah. at the time. But it, it still strikes me as a really interesting yeah. study, which, yeah. you know, you've since done yeah. and yeah. others People have are, done. What, what year was that that you were, like, thinking about this stuff? That, that would have been, like, 2001, 2002. Yeah. So, like... Political scientists started paying a lot more attention to. They, there was always some discussion of it, like even in some of the early like 1950s articles in political science, but no mm -hmm. real measurement or mm -hmm. integration in, into any of the models. And like around 2010, political scientists really started thinking nice. more about personality. So you were a little bit, uh, you were a little bit game, off. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it did come back around at least in political scientists. Right. In political science. Okay. Yeah. Good. 
So you mentioned um, looking at some other variables. Describe some for me and, and kind of put it into terms that a non-psychologist would get. So what does this mean for the average kind of voter or mm, political volunteer? In terms of like outcomes that I've looked at? Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah, so I've looked at all kinds of different acts of political participation uh, from more traditional acts like voter turnout mm-hmm. to uh, the number of civic groups that people participate in to whether people have protested, whether they volunteered for campaigns. So mm-hmm. those kinds of how involved are you measures. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also I've looked at some attitudes mostly related to feelings of uh, like a commitment to be involved in civic life. So sort of like civic duty measures and whether personality traits have any influence on feelings of like having an obligation to participate in politics. All right. Yeah. Okay, so let's imagine for a sec I'm a candidate I'm running for office yeah. and I want to get people to volunteer yeah. for my campaign. Yeah. How do I how do I take this knowledge yeah. and and harness it and yeah. put it to, to my advantage? What yeah. do I do? So when I when I send papers out for review on this stuff, one of the questions I always get are like, what are the practical implications of this? Right. We know from psychology research that you know personality traits are fixed. There's this phrase that they're set like plaster by age of thirty by the age of thirty. So if they're not something that can be moved or you know right. some lever that can be pulled, then what do you do with this knowledge? Mm-hmm. And I think something that you could do with it is you could think about the types of messages that might appeal to people with certain personality traits or that might turn people hmm. off. And right. I've actually I did a, an experimental study where we exposed people to different kinds of. Uh, messages that, that varied in terms of their negativity and looked right. at whether the big five influence of receptive right. receptiveness to these personality traits. But you could imagine traits that uh, would interact with a political message that might be really, you know, really turn people on mm. or something that might really turn people off. Right? So if you send somebody a flyer who is really conflict avoidant that says, like, politics is all about conflict, you should get involved, <laughs> it's probably not going to increase their <laughs> chance of right. being involved in politics. Like you could play right. some other dimension might appeal to them mm-hmm. more. So I think there are ways of linking kind of like campaign messaging type mm-hmm. elements to this personality stuff. Right. Yeah. All right. So now, more recently, you have been studying, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but you've been looking at some of the, the research come out on genetics yes. and stuff like that. Talk about that. Yeah, I've really, so that's another thing that I think political scientists didn't really consider very much until, uh, well, I think people have commented about it in the past, but nobody really did any empirical work on it. There was this famous, now it's famous, but uh, article in 2005 that came out in the American Political Science Review. That's the top journal in political science. The title was something like, Are Political Attitudes Genetically Transmitted? And looked at, mm-hmm. uh, basically, is there a heritable component to all kinds of different attitudes? They had all right. kinds of different issue attitudes, ideological measures. And so I think that really opened the door to thinking about uh, genes and heritability within mm-hmm. the context of political science. It's not without controversy, um, <laughs> but I think you have to know that they're not saying that there's a gene that makes you vote or a gene that makes you liberal or conservative, that, that genes might play an influence in right. forming people's political attitudes. So okay. uh, I'm starting to look at uh, whether personality traits mediate some of the influence of genes. Mm-hmm. I'm working with a co-author named Chris Dawes at New York University, who's one of the I'd consider him to be one of the pioneers in the, the field of genopolitics, has a lot of training in uh, behavior genetics, and uh, is really familiar with how to use the kind of models that we're interested in. So we're looking at whether the big five uh, mediate some genetic influences yeah, on okay. uh, feelings of civic obligation. So okay. we're turning up some interesting stuff in, in yeah. terms of mediation and whether genes travel through personality traits. So okay. I think it's a, 
it's taking us to another level in terms of what might influence politics. Right. Like it's not just your, it's not just the socialization, or it's not just the environment. It could be something deeper than that. So. Right. So, what uh, can you share? Any sort of preliminary findings? Anything you've uncovered? Yeah. So, so far? we've, uh, so we've f- first looked at. We have, so we have data on. Let me back up a little bit. So we yeah, have, I want to back up too. Yeah. Actually, know how do you get the data? Yeah. So <laughs> some of it is publicly available. Okay. There's a couple. Of, so what you need to do the kind of study that we're doing is you need data on twins. That's what psychologists have used to estimate heritability mm-hmm. of personality traits. So you need data on identical and fraternal twins. So you get the set mm-hmm. of people that share 100 percent of their DNA, and you know. Average fifty percent of their DNA, so you're kind of using that as a natural experiment to see, right. you know, if there is a greater, you know, correlation between the thing that you're interested in among mm-hmm. people who are share one hundred percent of the DNA. Usually, you mm-hmm. make the case that those people that there is some genetic influence there. Right. So we have data on identical and uh, fraternal twins. Uh, we're using a study, a study called the Midas study midlife development in the United States. Does it come from the um, from Minnesota? Is that the... That's not the one we're using, but okay. a lot of people use that one. Okay. So there's some famous twins data sets out there. There's not a lot that contain mm-hmm. data on twins, data on political measures, data on personality traits. Right. So you can imagine <laughs> that doing something like this is not all that easy. Um, so we're using that as a data set. We have data on twins, so we can make that kind of, get that estimate of heritability and uh, we also have measures of personality traits. All that's in there is, is the big five, really, so that's kind of what we're using mm-hmm. right now. So we we did replicate some of the uh, psychology work showing that personality traits are heritable. You know, usually mm-hmm. the estimates are in the 50% range or so. And then looked at if the, if the, genetic, if the overlap between um, personality traits and civic duty has some mm-hmm. underlying genetic source. And it turns out that uh, for the traits that do correlate um, and that are heritable, there is some genetic overlap. Personality and between uh, between personality and civic duty, hmm. so we take that to mean that there's mediation okay. at play there that, that okay. genetics are influencing uh, attitudes via traits. Okay, and so when you say civic duty, yep. define that for me. Uh, like a feeling of moral obligation to participate gotcha. in elections or whatever the outcome is that you're interested in. We're interested in elections, so that's okay. one of our measured uses. But by by measure. voting or by volunteering, ours is by voting. But okay. you could construct similar measures by any act, you know, gotcha. how much obligation do you feel to protest, to volunteer, things like that. So okay. We have one asking about voting. And partly it's a function of the fact that our study doesn't have a lot of political measures, so we kind of have to use what's available to mm-hmm. get at what we're interested in, but that's what we're doing. Okay, that's great. You know, so funny story about um, that the article you were describing. Yeah. When, it, when it came out in the 2005 article, yeah. I, I came across it on, an, you know, USA Today, or yeah. so, I don't know, wherever, somewhere yeah. did a write-up on it, and it was online, and, yeah. and I read through it, and I thought it was fascinating, and um, and then it ended with, like, a like a uh, poll, you know, do you believe um, political beliefs can be, yeah. whatever, and, uh, and overwhelmingly, people were uh, opposed to it. Yeah. I mean, overwhelmingly, yeah. people said, no, there's no way, yeah. so, um, but what I think is funny about that is that, so, two things happened, one, I've actually for a long time been using that as an example of how the public is so resistant to research mm-hmm. if it's inconsistent with yeah. what they want to believe. Yeah. You know, that, I mean, here you read a full study yeah. talking about this research that describes yeah. the relationship, yeah. and yet you're still not convinced yeah. in any way, you know? Yeah. So I, I've, I've long used that as, as one of my examples. Um, the other is a, um, 
uh, is that I actually started using that article in my Theories of Personality mm-hmm. course because it's such a great example of just a really, really well-designed, well-thought-out, yeah. well-argued um, position. I mean, it's, it's really just yeah. an outstanding article. Yeah, it's so. really good. And it, a lot of the stuff that has, uh, has come out has gotten a lot of media attention. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's like exciting, this is really cool. And then you see a lot of criticism. Sometimes it's from other scholars writing for news outlets saying, like, this is bogus. It can't be genetics. Well, and I'm gonna pu- I'm gonna play devil's advocate for a second and be one of those people yeah. and say that's yeah. that's bogus. Yeah. Explain to me how it works. Like how how is it that if it's not that I have a, a, a you know recycling gene yeah. or a, I want to save the, <laughs> yeah. the you know if that's not it yeah. how does it work? So you can't based on the the twins design study you can't tell like which genes are influencing mm-hmm. things. So you know that. It's like an add, it's additive genetic factors, um, so it's it's heritability, but you can't say exactly what in that kind of a design. There are people who are looking, at, they call them candidate gene studies, where they look at particular genes that have been known to influence other kinds of behaviors. Mm-hmm. So there, you're looking at more specific. You know, does this gene have an influence on this behavior? Mm-hmm. Usually, the effects are pretty small that you're finding mm-hmm. uh, in terms of like probabilities or you know changes right. in the levels of participation. So. There again, I think people misread them and say, like, this this is the voting gene, which is not at all what people are saying. <laughs> right. They're saying that this influences your propensity to be involved. And right. of course, it's it's not deterministic. It, just because you have a gene doesn't right. mean you're going to behave a certain mm-hmm. way. I think in terms of like probabilities or propensities. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, and in my field, we see we see similar things all the time. I mean. Th- so, for example, there's heritability when it comes to eating disorders, mm-hmm. right? But nobody's arguing that you have a drive for thinness mm-hmm. gene or mm-hmm. anything like that. It's yep. that you have a, a gene that, you know, a lot of times those things manifest themselves through anxiety, mm-hmm. which we know is genetic, mm-hmm. and that your anxiety then manifests itself through mm-hmm. eating behavior mm-hmm. or maybe voting behavior, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that, that you vote a particular way because yeah. you tend to be an anxious person. Yeah. And, and that isn't, when you start talking about it that way, it's not that far-fetched yeah, right. to, to, to think that. Yeah. Could be the case. I think yeah, I think some part of it is people misconstruing what the findings are saying. Right. Nobody's saying it's determining your behavior. Nobody's saying that environment is not important. <laughs> right. But it can be the case that you're influenced by genes and environment, and there there could also be interesting interactions between genes and environment. That, right. That could happen. So I think it's a kind of misconstruing some mm-hmm. of the findings, but uh, hopefully we're getting a little bit more clarity. Right. One and to uh, I think that article that we were talking about. Uh, one of the things that they do so well is they they it, it's almost as though they were anticipating. Mm-hmm. Frankly, the criticism yeah. is that they they you know take great pains to explain what they're saying early on, and this is how we did it, and this is the argument, this is how genetics works, yep. and stuff like that, yep. you know? uh, which I think is really great. Yeah, so. there are some strong assumptions that you need in order to specify genetic models. Mm-hmm. Something like the equal environment assumption, where you have to assume that. Twins and uh, or the same or that mono, monozygotic twins and dizygotic twins are raised in comparable environments. Right. People will raise an issue with, but I think people have, have tried to address those. Mm-hmm. So there are those kind of criticisms that pop mm-hmm. up. Where, right. Uh, well, I've definitely read some inter- some compelling arguments kind of against the twin model. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, another issue is that twins' parents tend to exa- or, or parents in general tend to exaggerate the differences yep. between their kids. Yep. You know, they tend to, which yep. since they're the ones that are oftentimes filling out surveys about their kids yeah. that they you know they may say oh he's yeah. the extroverted one and he's yeah. the introverted one yet yeah. they're actually more similar than parents are giving yeah. them credit for to me like 
I think some people take those kinds of criticisms to mean like we should abandon this. So this right. can't tell us anything. And I think we should take those criticisms and see if we could address them or right. find some interesting way to get leverage yeah. over those. Or acknowledge that it's a, a limitation, yeah. but that doesn't mean you throw everything out. Yeah. That, I mean, right. all research has limitations, yeah. right? I, I read an interesting critique, just the last point on that kind of critique. There's a really well-known, really good scholar wrote this article. Was, the title was something, it was in the Washington Post. It was like, your genes influence voting behavior, so what? And like he applied this standard of like, what would you do if you knew that a gene influenced voting? Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of an unfair standard because mm-hmm. we look at lots of other attributes mm-hmm. that are fixed, like mm-hmm. a person's sex, which is pretty is pretty fixed, or a person's race or mm-hmm. education level, and you could make the same criticism about mm-hmm. those things. How do you change those things in order to get the outcome that you want? So mm-hmm. I think that kind of criticism is a little bit unfair. You don't mm-hmm. apply that standard to all other kinds of research, right? You know, so right. There's there's lots of things that come up that I think can be addressed. Mm-hmm. One of the if the purpose here too is as all research is, is discovery, mm-hmm. then what is the problem, yeah. right? What is the problem with trying to know more yeah. about why people right. vote the way they do or, or get involved the way they yeah, do? Yeah, I think yeah. If, if you're clear about what your methods are and you're clear about right. what the limitations are, then there shouldn't be a, a real right. problem. If you have a problem with it, then replicate it, you know, right. add on to it to improve it. There's lots of ways to address. You can't just Very say, cool. I don't like it. Right. Say, I don't like it for these reasons, and this is what I'm going to do about it to show you right. that I'm right or that you missed mm-hmm. something. So, yeah. All right. Well, it is time, Aaron, for five questions. Right. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. I'm so, about this. good. <laughs> Where we take, uh, I'm pulling questions from a hat here. And the first one is What did you want to be when growing up? What did I want? I actually wanted, when I was in high school, I wanted to be a, a high school psychology teacher. Nice. I had a really good psychology teacher in high school and I thought he was like the coolest person ever and I wanted to do nice. that. So I'm not that far away from it. I'm yeah. still teaching I, and I do some psychology stuff, but yeah. a little bit a little bit different. I like to think of you as teaching poli psych. Yeah, so poli psych. <laughs> I wanna I wanna develop a course on political psychology. Yeah. We've talked about that a yeah. little bit. So And I, I actually used to talk about that with Terry too yeah. when she um, maybe we'll do it sometime. Yeah, let's so awesome. Um what kinds of hobbies and interests do you have outside of work? Oh, that's a good one. I really like music, and I like playing guitar. So I have a good collection of guitars that I like to tinker around on. Okay. Uh, I like uh, trying new restaurants okay. and uh, I'm really into food. So All right. We, I get the sense. Wife, like to try out different places. I get the sense you like to spend time with your dog. I do like to spend time with my dog. <laughs> it's the best dog in the world. <laughs> is it a boy or a girl? It's a girl, really. Girl. She's a she's a nice looking dog. Yeah, seen seen pictures of her on Facebook. Yeah. So. A golden Doodle, is golden that right? Doodle, yeah. My mom's had a couple of those yeah. as well. Great dogs. Great dogs. All right. Um, what aspect of your job do you enjoy the most? Uh, I would doing say podcasts. Doing podcasts. <laughs> this is my doing first one ever. But <laughs> so. yeah, I hope to do more in the future. I like the interaction with students every day, and I also like the that you can go into a class that you've taught a bunch of times and it can be a totally new experience that mm-hmm. students can bring in new ideas or new insights. And I like the kind of like unexpected nature. You don't know what they're going to ask. Right. Or you know, you don't know what examples are going to bring out. That's kind of fun. It mm-hmm. keeps you on your toes. You don't do the same thing every day. Right. Or even every, I, I, I teach the same class back to back, but yep. the two sections are even oh, yeah. different, Very you know, different. with different students yeah. and there and different questions. I always say that like, we're just talking about personality. Like every class has its, a personality. Some are really energetic, some are more right. laid back, and uh, it's interesting to see how they develop. Absolutely. All right, number four. I don't want to limit to 
throw that one out a while ago. <laughs> so number four, uh, where is your favorite place to eat? Where is my favorite place to eat? I actually went there for dinner last night. There's a place called Salt in De nice. and it is uh, exceptionally good. It is good. That is, uh, in fact, I have to make reservations there for Valentine's yeah. Day in a few minutes here yeah. when this podcast it's an amazing is amazing. I just revealed that we were taping this a good three weeks before <laughs> <laughs> <So> <laughs> before it's going to air. So you'll know if I was... Uh, well, that way no one will hound me at, on Valentine's Day when I'm at Salt. <laughs> That's what I worry about, right? right. All my, my legions of fans. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, what's that? Podcasting is hard. Podcasting is so hard, I know. Okay, uh, last question, number five. What is the first thing you would buy if you won the lottery? If I won the lottery. I like cars, so maybe a cool, cool sports car. A cool like sports car. Yeah. All right. Do you have a favorite kind, like a kind you can? Uh, I like all different kinds. Okay. I like Corvettes. Okay. So maybe maybe a new Corvette. Nice. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Well, that is all we have. I want to first say thank you to Aaron Weinshank of public and environmental affairs uh pea thank you so much for coming this is yeah, really fascinating so um i also want to say a special thanks to our producer kate barley and uh the creator of our podcast art kimberly Vlees. um and i uh, would love to talk about our next episode but quite honestly i don't know what it's going to be yet so uh as i revealed just moments ago we are like a full month uh, before this is airing <laughs> and uh i haven't figured out what's next so anyways you can assume that it's going to be something awesome so Thank you all very much for listening. Thanks for being here again, Eric. Thank you. Thank you.